Turn to Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 through 12. Satan's great presumption, if you would, stand for reading of God's word. Even if it's you're at home and you're in your recliner, you can actually stand to read the word of God. So in war broke out in heaven, Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil, and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accuses them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that is has a short time. Father, we thank you that the key thing here is that the devil has a short time. Thank you that we will not have to put up with him much longer on this earth. His time is going to be over. His time of presumption will be over and he'll be dealt with permanently. But while we're dwelling here, help us to be mindful of the things and the schemes that he has planned for the future. And we do know the one world government and religious system and monetary system. These are all part of the, what's going to happen. And you've prepared us to be ready for this. So as we march forward, may we not march with fear or anxiety, but may we march forward knowing that you have a plan and that we are on the winning team. Again, thank you for your words. Speak to us today, words of truth that we need to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Satan's great presumption. The main thing he's going to do is presume to start a war in heaven. He thinks he can actually take over heaven and God. The theme of Jesus is, the theme of, excuse me, Revelation is Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming in judgment. And Jesus is coming to do what? Establish his kingdom, his kingdom. Now, last week we saw great signs in heaven. And Revelation is a book full of symbolism, but chapter 12 is the greatest symbolism of all. And we saw some things that we were wondering, what in the world does this all mean? And we learned in our study, that the Bible will interpret the Bible. The symbolism can be found either in the same chapter or the same book or other areas of Scripture. And last week we went to Genesis and we saw what the symbolism was of the sun, the moon, and the stars and that sort of thing. We also know that Satan, when he's kicked out of heaven in Revelation 12, 4, he took a third of the angels with him, the third of the stars of heaven with him. And he, and he flung them to earth with specific purpose of killing the Messiah of killing Jesus after his birth. We see that in Matthew 2.16, where Satan used Herod in a fit of jealousy to try to kill the Messiah. And we know that every time Satan has a plan, God has a counter plan to thwart his plan. And, and I like to say, but God intervenes. But God intervenes. And he does this over and over and over where, where Satan is just thwarted and he doesn't carry out his plan. And this one, Joseph hears from an angel, says, flee to Egypt. And if flee, he does. And he and Jesus and Mary, they go to Egypt until Herod dies, and then they come back home. Now listen to this. And I think you will agree with this. Satan has a do-not-give-up attitude. He's persistent, he's deluded, and his followers are deluded. He may appear successful for a short time, but in the end, he fails every single time. 
And if Jack was here, what would Jack say? Amen. That's right. Amen. Satan has a don't give up attitude. Now we saw this, his, his schemes started out very early. One of his big schemes was in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, where he tried to pollute the gene pool. Remember that? And he was thwarted by an ark, a flood, and eight people on the ark were able to escape. All the way down to eight people. He almost was successful. Think of Haman in the book of Esther. It looked like the Jewish people were doomed. They're all going to be eliminated. And Haman is the one that ended up being hung. Think of Hitler in World War II as he killed one-third of the Jewish people under the Nazi tyranny. And how at the end, Hitler died and the Jewish people were able to establish a nation that had never been done before. It says in Isaiah, in a day, a nation will be will come into existence. And that is exactly what happened. Because of Hitler's atrocities, the world had a, had a sensitivity to the Jews for just a short time and allowed them to reestablish their land. And then we know that Antichrist, in our study, he will kill two-thirds of the Jewish people in a tragedy. One-third, the remnant, will flee to Basra. In Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8, we read these words, And it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds of it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. And I will bring one-third through the fire, and they will survive by running to Basra. They'll know when the abomination of desolation happens that they are to flee to their safe place. The story is consistent, but God, Satan, is thwarted. And that's good news. God is a God of the impossible. Now, last week, we also talked about Satan's schemes with you, the believer. His schemes with you. What does he do? Deception is his main thing. Discouragement. Disillusionment. The focal point of his attack, of his attack is where it is the, the mind. And remember, we have the helmet of salvation, the armor of God. We keep the whole armor of God. But the hardest part to keep on is the helmet. Remember, it's hot, it's sweaty. You keep wanting to take it off, put it on. The helmet of salvation protects your mind and realize that you always belong to God no matter what his attacks are. The helmet of salvation, Ephesians 6, 17. Now, one of the other things that we're supposed to do, we learn that we are to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We are to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God, in key areas of difficulty in our lives that we can say out loud to thwart the enemy. And then we have to remember that we will not fall for the indoctrination of this world or Satan or anybody else because we are glued to the Word of God and we trust the truth of the Word of God and we're not going to fall for the deception. So know this, you are soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ and you are equipped for battle. You are an overcoming soldier and if you are a soldier, who are you going to stay close to? Your commander-in-chief, which would be whom? Jesus. That's right. You got good, good answers out there. Yes, it's Jesus. So, as the time grows closer, Satan will grow more desperate. Desperate people, deluded people, do some crazy things, and he's going to try to overcome heaven. Just a point of clarification before we go any farther. I just want you to remember that Satan drew a, through the, a third of the angels and he threw them to earth. But his fall happened in eternity past. Satan's fall, fall was in the past recorded in Ezekiel 28, 14 through 17. And we see that he tried to be like God. He wanted to overcome God. He was the anointed cherub. 
And then he was thrown to the earth because of his hubris, his arrogance of wanting to overthrow the throne of God. But listen to this. Satan is not only a deceiver, he's an influencer. He influenced a third of the angelic realm who had access to God, knew the love of God, it experienced the presence of God, worshiped God, but yet chose to go with Satan. What did they miss? They missed the wrath of God. They missed the, that, that God will not put up with rebellion. So they presumed upon God's love and they forgot about his wrath. But now they know something different, that the wrath of God is real. Satan's presumption. Now this week we're going to fast forward into the future. The curtain's going to be rolled back between earth and heaven, and we will see a spiritual conflict in the heavenlies. Satan's great presumption. John Wolverd, the great expositor from uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, who's wrote, written commentaries and a lot of things on the book of Revelation, says this about the, this arrogance presumption of Satan. He believes this act of presumption predated the seal judgments and was the impetus for the start of the tribulation period. That this actually goes back in time and then Antichrist comes forward in time with his war. Comes as the, in the white horse with peace and then the red horse, the black horse, the green colored horse follow after that. And that's his throwing his fit on earth and having his victories early on in the tribulation period. In verses 7 through 9, Satan's presumption and consequence. Read with me. And war broke out in heaven. Doesn't that just blow your mind? War broke out in heaven. The, The presumption, the prince in the power of the air thought that he could become the prince in the power of heaven. Boy, did he make a mistake. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. Key Satan mistake. Final exit from heaven. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil, and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So presumption and the consequence of that presumption. First of all, The word presumption, let's define it. It is behavior perceived as arrogant. And isn't that Satan? Isn't that a lot of our world today? Arrogant, disrespectful, transgressing the limits, what is permitted or appropriate. Now, think about this. Satan prompted a war on earth with the Antichrist. Antichrist has been very successful in his pillage of the earth. Might Satan have thought, well, God can't stop us here. Maybe he can't stop us in the heavenlies. Just a thought, just a thought. And maybe he thought in his deluded arrogance that he could take over heaven. I think he did. Sin makes you delusional. Sin makes you presumptuous. But listen to this. God chooses to defend heaven with Michael and his angels. Now think about this. Almighty God, the creator of everything and everyone, could have done with a thought, with just a, just a, just a one synapse firing, and could have done away with Satan. But he chose to use Michael and his archangels. God uses us. He uses the angelic realm. He uses us in his plan. That's what I'm trying to get across here. He could have done this whole thing by himself. 
but he chooses to use us in the process. So Michael is, is, means this, who is like God? And remember this, when you think about Satan's power and his arrogance and taking a third of the angelic realm with him, when this whole thing is said and done, in Revelation chapter 20, one angel with the power, the exousia, the administrative authority of God, binds Satan and throws him in the pit for a thousand years. One messenger angel with the authority of God. Who's in charge? God's in charge. You got that right. A little more information on Michael the archangel. He's very interesting. Michael is, the, is, is an archangel assigned to the protection of Israel. Daniel 12.1, at that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. That would be Israel. Michael, by the way, is the only archangel named in the scripture, but there are more. How do we know? Well, you have done the study in Daniel. Daniel chapter 10.13, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. This is another angel speaking. For I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. What does that tell us? Michael helps other angels in angel conflicts. The prince of Persia, the prince of Greece, that sort of thing. In Daniel 10, 13 and 10, 20 through 21. Tony Garland gives us his insights into this. Speaking of angels, he says they are at work in the non-physical realm where science is blind. Yet we see their results in the workings of sin, reigns of terror, and the machinations of powerful nations and corporations throughout history. You see confusion going on. Think of powers and principalities that are influencing these things. He goes on to say this. The movement of nations, their wars, their politics, social policy, are shaped and directed by higher powers. There are angels, good and bad, who are constantly influencing men and governments. Daniel chapter 10 gave us a little peek behind the curtain of what's going to happen on in the heavenlies. Powers, principalities, rule of, of, rulers of darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness we're introduced to in Ephesians 6.12. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the result of Satan's presumption is this. He was cast out of heaven. His arrogance, he's, he did not prevail, and he was cast out of heaven, cast to the earth. That word cast is the word balo, B-A-L-L-O. The verb implies this, impulse, to throw, to thrust, to strike. And Satan was this, okay? Have you ever watched the rest, World Wrestling Federation and Hulk Hogan? Well, Hulk Hogan picked up uh, Sylvester Stallone in that movie, Rocky 3 or something, or 2, or whatever Rocky it was, Rocky 25. And he took a body slam. Well, that's what God did to Satan. He body slammed Satan. You know what Satan discovered? Satan discovered what we all must discover. And hear this. Everyone hear this word. The law of unintended consequence. Erwin Lutzer coined this in his book, God's Devil. He also said this, Satan is the star who bit the dust. I like that. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. No, no, no more will Satan be able to bring his slanderous accusations against us before Jesus. 
no more. Now think about this. Think about Satan's demeanor when he was cast out of heaven. He's not depressed. He's not regretting. He doesn't appear discouraged. What emotion do you see in verse 12? Wrath. He's outraged. Outraged. And I don't know if you caught this or not, but there's five names for the devil that we see in verse 9. He's called the great dragon, indicating his fierceness. He's called the old serpent. What does that take you back to? The garden of Eden, the deceiver. He's devil, the accuser. He is Satan, the adversary of God. And guess what? He's also the adversary of God's people. He is a deceiver, the great master counterfeiter who seeks to deceive all mankind. And he was body slammed to earth. Guess what? Guess who's victorious? Christ is victorious. Satan may presume, but Christ is victorious. Verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice. I notice this is, a, this is an angel. And I would, I'm, I'm guessing that this could even be Michael the archangel. He's just been victorious in this battle. And then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down, has been body slammed to earth. Prior to being cast out, we know that Satan was continuously active bringing charges against the people of God. That was one of his main jobs, main things that he did. Now listen to this. The term used of bringing a legal, it's, it's a term used of bringing a legal charge again, before a judge as in a court. He goes to and fro from the world that we live in to the heavens to bring a legal charge to slander the people of God. Now, Satan can only present his legal case, hear this, at the place of accusation. Now you're going, I've never heard that before. Well, I didn't either. So if you turn to Zechariah, you don't have to turn there. You can just trust me. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 say this. Listen to this. Now, Zechariah is a high priest. He's, there's a vision that, 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 that is going on here. Then he showed me, and I think this is probably an angel. He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. That would be a pre-incarnate Jesus. That's the second, second person of the Trinity. That's Jesus Christ. And Satan standing at his right hand. And what is he doing? To oppose Joshua. To oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Now can't you just hear that with you? Satan's bringing an accusation against you. The Lord rebuke you. That person belongs to me. Rick belongs to me. Dale belongs to me. Chris belongs to me. Sean belongs to me. Steve belongs to me. Maritza belongs to me. Everybody belongs to me. Ludwin belongs to me. Yes. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Jason belongs to me. Yes. Okay. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. The Lord who has chosen you who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are his children rebukes you. This is not a brand plucked from the fire, Satan. This is my person. Isn't that just incredible? The, the, a place of accusation, it appears to be there. Think about Jesus when he talks about Peter that's going to betray him. 
Actually, in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, 31, belay that last. He says this, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Where do you think he made that request? I would guess it would probably be for that place of accusation. Accusation. Because Christ was victorious over Satan at the cross, a death blow was dealt to Satan. We know that. We know that. Now, Satan can bring his legal arguments, but you have to realize you have been exonerated. You have a great big not guilty stamped on your life. Why? Because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That simple. Jesus paid our sin debt, and is that good news? That is good news. He died for our sins. He prayed the price for our sins. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but the sixth cry from the cross was, it is finished. What does that mean? To tell us die. Paid in full. The ransom price was paid in full for each one of us. We are clean and pure before a holy God because of Jesus. The justice of God was satisfied. I am declared not guilty. Uh, that, that, I'm just, amen. I can say an amen for myself. Yes. Thank you. Now remember this. No more will in the future, nor more will Satan ever bring any of us before Father and say, oh, that one's guilty. That one's guilty. That one's guilty. And then Jesus say, oh, no. Covered by the blood. Covered by the blood. Covered by the blood. Not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. No more will he be able to do this. Now, I want to just take a little segue here. And something I think that we need to know. Our old man, our Adamic nature, our old man died at the cross. We were crucified with Christ. Revelation chapter 6, excuse me, Romans chapter 6 verse 6 says this. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, with Jesus. Our old Adamic nature died on the cross that the body of sin might be done away with, katagero, to cease completely, with, done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Our old man died with Jesus at the cross. But guess what? Our new life began with the resurrection of Jesus, Romans 6.4, as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. And what does that newness of life look like? Well, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. The old has passed away. Behold, everything becomes new. We're new people in Christ Jesus. Now, what does this mean? Satan, again, let me just, this is for emphasis. You already know this. Satan has no legal right to bring an accusation before God concerning you. You have been declared perfect, legally declared perfect. And guess what? This is called justification. That's the theological word. Justification. Just as if I have not sinned. Me being in a sin state have been declared righteous before a holy God by the blood of Jesus. That is good news. Now, I bet you have a question. If my old man, my old Adamic nature has been crucified, why? What is going on? If my old man is dead, why do I continue to struggle with sin? That's a great question. 
If our old man is dead, remember, that's a legal term. You're legally declared righteous. You're not righteous. You know you're not righteous. Think of, you got up today. You got up today and you had some thoughts that weren't quite right. You might have said something to your wife or to your husband or thought with your kids or whatever. You're not perfect now. You're just declared perfect. It's a legal term. It's a legal term. Our old Adamic nature will not be eradicated until when? Phase three of salvation, glorification. So justification, phase one. Sanctification, phase two. Glorification, phase three. No longer temptable in a state of perfection. That's on the horizon for each one of us. Now the question is this. Am I doomed to live out this life in constant defeat? Am I doomed to live that way? And the answer is a resounding no. No. You are in a process of sanctification being set apart unto God. Remember, the instant that you were saved, you were positionally sanctified, set apart unto God. Now you're progressively being sanctified. We've gone through this many times. You're familiar with this. As we go through our lives, we're in a process of being conformed to the likeness of Christ. Now that the Holy Spirit is resident within, I can make faith choices instead of flesh choices. And that's what we are to do. This is a process. This is a process. It is not instantaneous. It takes time and it takes work. It takes work. We partner with the Holy Spirit in this process. And it's the rest of your life. The Holy Spirit in you provides you with the strength to change. You must cooperate with the Spirit to grow into a new you. Now, this brings us to our next verse. Because Christ was victorious, you too can be victorious. Verse 11. And they overcame him, how? By the blood of the Lamb, one. By the word of their testimony, two. And they did not love their lives to the death. Three. Three things. So, how does a believer overcome the incessant attacks of Satan? Remember, he's persistent. He wants you to fall. I don't believe he can affect your eternal destination, but he can certainly get you sidelined in this war. Know the facts. Fact number one, and I think we know this, Satan is able to accuse the brethren continually because the brethren continually sin. <laughs> That's a true statement. 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So that's a true statement. Fact number two, the one-time sacrifice of the Lamb of God justifies believers eternally. Hebrews 10.14, Satan's accusations are going to land on non-hearing shoulders, so to speak. Because we have the perfect righteousness of Christ credited to us. Again, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Remember, all of our sins, past, present, and future, were placed on Jesus at the cross. In fact, number four, our sin, and this is important, does affect our fellowship with God at this time, but not our standing with God as the justified one. So our fellowship is restored if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. 
So, knowing these facts will allow you to stand like a bull in the blizzard against any persecution. And I was going to put the picture up here for the 25,000th time, but I, I resisted. So, when Satan comes to you and says, oh, you did that sin again, you did that sin again, you're no good, shame on you. You know what you say? What Paul said in Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I have been declared righteous. Now, my job is to work on my issues so he has less and less to bring as an accusation before the God of heaven. Think about this. How do we overcome Satan's death threats? The three ways. Where? Three ways. <laughs> three ways. Number one, by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus' blood is applied to me. Filled with the Holy Spirit, I can stand through the impossible. Remember, it's God's power within us. In our text today, I think he's talking about the tribulation saints. But really, it's the saints all throughout the epochs of time that have been martyred for the cause. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, witnessing for Christ to the death, just like Stephen when he's being stoned. And know who Stephen impacted? The Apostle Paul was right there giving consent. And number three, by not loving their lives to the death. And you're going to say, what? Not loving your lives to the death? Yes. They knew this fact. And for anybody that's in a martyr-type situation, must embrace this. 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The second, the moment, the nanosecond that we cease life here, we have life eternal with our God. And then we can know this verse is so true. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? I have not died. I've transitioned to my home, my eternal home. These believers know that they know the moment they cease their life here, they are alive forevermore. And guess what? Jesus actually taught this in John eleven twenty five. You will never die. Remember, death is separation, not non-existence. We will exist someplace forever, heaven or hell, depending on what you do with Christ. Remember, Lazarus died. Lazarus was Jesus' friend. He was in his family. And Martha's all disturbed. Mary's all disturbed. He goes to the house, and he delays four days until Lazarus is starting to get a little smelly in the grave. And Jesus makes this, this statement. It's the fifth I am statement. There are seven in the book of John. The I am statements are it's called the ego am I. And it's Jesus claiming to be the I am of Exodus chapter 3, that he is God incarnate. Make no, that's the reason for the I am statements. This is the fifth. Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never ever, I'm adding this, ever, 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 ever die. Never die. And then he says this to Martha. Do you believe this, Martha? And he kind of says that to us too. Do you believe this? What's your name there? I hope you do. Know that you know because Christ was victorious, you also, you too can be victorious. Now we're going to see Satan's presumption and his consequence of being thrown to the earth in verse 12, therefore rejoice, O heavens. Now, what, notice heavens. Heaven is just having a party because he's been thrown out. He's been body slammed. 
and you who dwell in them. But notice the other people. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, and he's not happy, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Look at, hear this. If you haven't heard anything, please hear this. There are consequences for our actions. Satan is experiencing a consequence. The law of unintended consequence is always at work. Remember, uh, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that he shall also reap. That's the uh, Galatians 6 and 7. His next consequence is going to be this. In his arrogance, he's going to be kicked to the earth. He's going to be defeated. Jesus is coming back in, in uh, Revelation chapter 19. In Revelation 20, he's thrown into the pit. That's another consequence. That's another big consequence that he has. But guess what? The crescendo consequence is when he's thrown into the lake of fire forever. At the, when he has, causes this rebellion, <laughs> he, he, this guy never learns. He is persistent. <laughs> you have to say that about Satan. So what does heaven do? Heaven is rejoicing, but woe to the earth. Now, who's in heaven? Well, you have the elect angels. You have the church. The church is hip, hip, hooray. The tribulation saints are hip, hip, hooray. Okay. You have these, but the earth is woe to the earth. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Why is there woe to the earth? Because Satan is having a fit. Have you ever had your three-year-old pitch a fit in the middle of the store? Well, this is Satan pitching a fit as he's thrown out of the celestial heaven down to earth. And his wrath, he's had great wrath, for the devil has come down to earth having great wrath. That wrath is the word thumos. I didn't write it down, but I should have. Thumos, it means a violent motion, a violent passion of the mind, an outburst of rage. Because Satan knows something that is an absolute. He has a short time. And remember, desperate people and desperate fallen angels do desperate things, don't they? The devil will launch a terrible attack on the woman, which is Israel, and her offspring. That'll be for next week. Remember, his goal is to prevent Messiah from coming by eliminating the Jewish people, and they cannot plead for Jesus to return or recognize their national sin of rejecting Messiah. In closing, Satan's great presumption. What is coming, now, I think we're in agreement with this. What is coming to earth is beyond the pale, beyond our ability to imagine. We have the trumpet judgments, which are awful. We have the, the, we, the seal judgments, which are awful. The trumpet judgments, they are more awful. And then the bold judgments are the awfuler, awfuler, awfuler. I know that's not a word, but that, it just gets worse. In the midst of all of this, Satan is going to be thrown to the earth and have a fit, and he's going to try to kill as many of the Jewish people as he can and the offspring, which would be believers in Messiah. Satan's desperation is evident today, even today. How so? How so? Well, he's in an all-out effort to establish a one-world government globalism. You are seeing this right before your eyes today. This is happening. This is actually happening in our lifetime. I never thought I'd see this. And how fast has it happened? It happened. We think it just happened starting in March. The, these seeds have been planted for, for many years. 
But the crescendo, the speed at which they, this thing has, has accelerated, really started with this virus, this planted virus. He wants to establish a one-world government, a one-world economic system, a one-world religion. And listen to this. He wants to destroy biblical Christianity, the true church. So he'll leave the false church alone. He'll leave the phonies alone. But he will not leave the true church alone because a true church is a stumbling block for him, is an obstacle for him. And guess what? Satan, folks, is alive and well on planet Earth. It doesn't matter if you believe in him or not. Look around at the evil. Look around at the evil. Most people think he's, they deny him. That he's just a fairy tale. He's a figment of our imaginations. Look around. Most people have bought into a non-biblical worldview. Most people are not a threat to Satan. They're right, they're right where he wants them. He owns them. That's the majority. The world screams today, be progressive. That's a, that's a relatively new word. That's the last decade or so. Even less. It used to be liberal. Now it's progressive, progressive, progressive. It resonates in the hearts of these earth dwellers, implying that non-progressives are what? Ignorant, intolerant, uneducated, stupid people. They can't see the real plan that we have to come together as a global community. Not worthy to be heard. Since when do you go to a university and not have competing arguments brought forth? That's what universities were developed for. Now it's suppressed, suppressed. Only hear what we want you to hear. That's satanic. That's, that's, that's powers and principalities that are going on. It's a great, we're a great obstacle. The clarion cry of the progressives is this. Get on board. Resistance is futile. Remember the Borg. Remember the Borg cube. Bonk, the Borg cube. Join the collective. And what do we have being accepted today? Not individual thought that America was built on. Not, in, not rugged individualism, but collective thought. And what, how, what does Tucker Carlson call it? Group think. And that is exactly what is happening in our country today. Group think. Don't be so narrow. Don't be so intolerant. Don't be so rigid. Truth is relative. Your truth is fine. Your truth is fine. There's no real truth. You believe that Christianity is the, is the true religion? Really? You believe the Bible's true? I can't believe it. You believe in a hell? Don't you believe that everybody goes to heaven or that place where we all become as one in the universe? Now, maybe Hitler might go to hell or Stalin might go to hell, but not me. I'm a good person. I want globalism. I'm for humanity. Folks, our world is being prepped now for the coming of the man of sin, the Antichrist, the beast. And guess what? This guy comes as what? On the right horse as the peacemaker, having all the answers. He's the lifesaver. The earth dwellers will love him. He'll, he'll fix all the problems. The economic gurus will bow to him. World religions will embrace him and come together as one. Remember, syncretism. A blending together of all world religions. The true church will resist him, stand against his scheme, and be a target of retribution until removed by the rapture. That's what's coming. A word of caution. 
Satan, you know this, Satan is a deceiver. You are a threat to him. His demonic hordes will use every trick in their disposal, at their disposal to throw you off track, to get you away from serving the true God. And Satan's goal is you to embrace a worldview that is against God, that abortion's okay, that homosexual marriage is okay, that globalism is okay, that open borders are okay. And how many in the church have bought into this under the auspices of love, whatever that is to them? What does every believer need? More now in America than any other time, I think this, an intense time of discipleship. Hear this. Baby Christians are fodder for the roaring lion. I was going to put the picture up there of the lion getting the little gazelle, but it might have been a little too brutal. So (laughs) that's what he wants to do. Attack the babies, the weak, the easy prey. Baby Christians have no idea what they believe, why they believe it, and are easily manipulated into believing other things. Secondly, stay in fellowship. Why? Because isolated Christians are easy prey. They are not accountable. Lazy Christians are easy prey. Offended Christians are easy prey. Stay connected. The lion will pounce on the isolated. And now this is the third one. Stay disciplined. Now you know what that means. Read your Bible, pray, stay in fellowship, stay connected with the people of God, that sort of thing. But it goes beyond that. When I say stay disciplined today, of course that's a priority. But this also is a priority. Discipline your minds. Discipline what you allow into your minds. What media? You have to have media discipline. Entertainment discipline. Friend selection discipline. We have to have all of these things. How I think discipline, remember, Satan's target is what? It is the mind. It is a mind war. He who controls the mind controls the person. If you are getting inputs on a continuum that are non-godly, non-biblical, then you're going to be influenced to a worldview that is the antithesis of God. This is not time for complacent Christians. Satan is waging a war in heaven and he's in the future and he's waging a war right now for the control of people's thinking, their minds. What are we to do? What are we to do as a people of God? We are to contend for the faith. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, said this. Contend for the faith earnestly. Verse 3, Beloved, While I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you you to contend earnestly for the faith. Fight for the faith. Fight for the true faith. Don't give up, which was once for all delivered to all the saints. Each generation must fight for the faith. The true faith, folks, is worth fighting for. We are commanded to fight for the faith. May we contend earnestly for the faith. That's effort, folks. That means we're going to be in the minority. That means we're going to be the ones that are impugned and, 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 and fingers pointing at us, causing all the problems. In the future generations, may this be said of us, that we contended for the faith. We fought for the faith. 
We did not roll over. We stood with the Holy Spirit rod of iron up our, our, up our backs, up our spines, like men and women of God, like bulls in the blizzard. We were not moved. May history say that about a few of the remnant Christians. Jude closes his short epistle with one of the most splendid benedictions in the New Testament. Now, what is a benediction? Bene means well. Diction means speak. Putting it together is to speak well of. It can also mean an expression of good wishes. Allow the Holy Spirit to give you a parting expression of good wishes. Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, that him is God. And stumbling is the, is the word apostasos, which is the root of apostasy, and it means to keep you from stumbling, to keep you from denying, disowning, or renouncing the faith. God will give you the strength. And how, what does he do then? And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. You will make it safely home. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, omniscient, all-knowing, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever or evermore. These are all qualities of the risen Christ. And notice what he says here, to God our Savior. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. God in the flesh. May we rest knowing that God is for me. And what does it say in Romans 8.31? If God is for us, who can stand against us? In this battle for truth, remember that God plus you are a majority. Say it to yourself. God plus you are a majority. Satan may presume, folks, but God is victorious. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study the Word of God, the inerrant, infallible Word of the living God. May we hear the words of truth resonate within our being. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, things that you wanted us to get out of this lesson. You are the one that encourages us. We know that we are on the winning team. We know that there's trouble ahead, but we are not to tribulate because the trouble is coming. We are to walk in your strength and in your power. We have none on our own. It all comes from you. May we tap into your strength and power and be men and women of God who contend earnestly for the faith while we are here. May it be said of us, the remnant church, the few, that we stood like a bull in the blizzard against the tyranny of our world. Thank you for this time to study your word. In Jesus' name, amen.